politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, and our property here at CR Podcast for a brand new week of broadcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here Monday, September the 12th. The day we supposedly woke up 21 years ago with understanding that the world had changed. But in retrospect, with the foresight of these 21 years, we have now learned that it changed in a very different direction than we ever thought. Obviously, on Friday, I touched on this a little bit, but we got more into the Pfizer documents. Terrific show with Sonia Elijah, great investigative reporter. Take a listen to Friday's show if you haven't heard it. But I want to elaborate today on the anniversary of 9-11 and how the roots of COVID fascism were laid in the foundation of what the government built upon the ruins of the Twin Towers and how, again, this business of the government creating a problem creating a crisis, blocking the solution to it, and doing the worst possible things in multiple ways to rectify the problem. If you're supposedly trying to rectify it, you know, a firefighter who would constantly spray a blowtorch rather than water at a fire, you would begin to wonder, did he set it to begin with? Why would you do that? And that's really what 9-11 was all about. In many respects. Now, I still think there was an Islamic threat. They did do the attack. But I think it's becoming clear that the government was at a minimum criminally negligent in it. The FBI had a number of informants in the Islamic community that the government allowed to grow rapidly with the Muslim Brotherhood promoting their stuff on our shores. And they covered it up. They covered up the financing of it. They covered up the source of the problem. And they not only failed to address it after the attacks, but they did the worst possible things, invade the world, invite the world, and particularly the part of the world that would be responsible for similar attacks. If that sounds similar to what they did in light of COVID, or in some respects, before COVID, inducing it, Well, you're not missing anything because that's what we're discussing today. Now, before we get started on that, it's going to be blood boiling. I'm just guaranteeing you. A lot of people asked me. I was away over the the weekend at a family event. A lot of people asked me, man, how do you keep your sanity? Well, one of my hobbies is actually gardening. I love being outside and planting, working on my lawn, and one of the real joys of this past season was my first foray into fast-growing trees. Yes, it's a thing. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. Check it out right now. They offer really for all spring and summer uh, seasons all sorts of shrubs, bushes, trees that you could order online. You don't have to have those messy uh, you know, trees getting decapitated in your car because they fall over on the way back from uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever you go. Where I live, I have trouble finding a good place with quality, quality shrubs. They have it all here. They even have on the website, again, fastgrowingtrues.com slash conservative, um, a function where you could tailor make to your yard what works. Do you need cover? Do you need shade? Do you need privacy? Okay, you're just trying to spruce up the front with certain colors. It has all the options there. No waiting in lines. No messy cars hauling the plants home. They're shipped to your door within one to two days. Over one million home gardeners have already seen what FastGrowingTrees.com can do for them, including yours truly. Plus, with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you could trust everything will be healthy for years to come. They, They stand behind it. You know, I, I cannot tell you how many times I I was so excited. I spent, you know, I figured, okay, I'll splurge. I'll spend an extra 150 on a really nice shrub, an azalea bush or something. And then 
it just bombs on you. So they stand behind it. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative right now. You'll get 15% off your entire order. Again, get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. Make sure your dream yard doesn't turn into a graveyard. Now, speaking of the graveyard of 9-11, I want to start with the quote today. A lot of people are, uh, you know, passing around the internet. Chuck Todd, in his interview with Kamala Harris, Obviously, they're on the same side because Chuck Todd is a stenographer for the regime. And this is a direct quote. He said, we're now as a nation battling a threat from within. Is the threat equal or greater than what we faced after 9-11? That's the way he teed up the question for Kamala Harris. And I'd say whatever the enemy projects on us is exactly what they're about. It's a blood libel. He's right. As a nation, it actually is much worse than 9-11 because we are battling the threat within. Now, they think it's us. It's really them. They are the threat. But the question is, with 9-11 itself, was it really fundamentally an enemy within? Again, I'm not saying there wasn't an Islamic threat externally as well. But was that brought about because of the enemy within? Their mentality with the Muslim Brotherhood, the mentality of the FBI and the CIA, and our insane immigration policies that were already getting bad, and then we doubled and tripled down on them. And the thing is, as we mark this anniversary, it was Sunday, there's actually a number of news stories coming out that shed light on this, that shed light on this. I want to read to you the first one. An unbelievable story. Again, it makes you wonder what what went on with 9-11, just like it makes you wonder what went on with COVID. There's no way they could have enjoyed COVID fascism this much, had so much prepared to change our lives in such a harmful, completely backwards way, and somehow they weren't involved in it. In fact, as far as COVID, more and more news, there's there's a study that came out, as we well knew, already in the spring of 2019, in Spain, COVID was circulating in the sewage. So this thing was around a lot longer. Versions of it were being released, and they knew about it. They knew about it. Okay? But anyway, this is from CBS News, Broke the News. This should be one of the biggest stories of the week, but no one will really discuss it or do anything about it. On the 21st anniversary of 9-11, CBS News has confirmed that military prosecutors and attorneys for five defendants charged for their roles in the attacks are negotiating potential plea deals that could take the death penalty off the table and keep the detention camp at Guantanamo open for the foreseeable future. Their cases have stalled over access to CIA evidence. More recently, because of COVID delays, the chief defendant is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the self-described architect of 9-11. The other four are Ramzi, Bin al-Ashabal, Mustafa Ahmed al-Hawaswawi, Walid bin Atash, and Amar al-Baluchi. Possibility of a plea deal has angered the families of some 9-11 victims, of course. And it makes you wonder, why would they do this? Why would they do this? Why would they take a plea deal? So this is news story number one. News story number two is my column today that last week, the Inspector General for the Department of Homeland Security came out with a report basically showing that when our government let in 80,000 Afghan refugees last year, and paroled them into the country. They openly didn't vet any of them, and a number of them had major problems. And not only did the government deny the problem, but they refused to come up with some sort of contingency plan of how to vet them in the future. They don't care. They have no plans. Yes, the same country that won't let in Novak Djokovic, the greatest tennis player of the generation after he won Wimbledon to play in the U.S. Open, They will let in people from the very country 
from where the 9-11 attacks were hatched with the same ideology, invite the world, invade the world. They, they note in the report that the government lacked critical data needed to properly screen them. Well, what's this critical data? I'm just going to read some lines here. We determined some information used to vet evacuees through U.S. government databases, such as name, date of birth, identification number, and travel document data was inaccurate, incomplete, or missing. We also determined CBP admitted or paroled evacuees who are not fully vetted into the United States. Gee, you think so? So talk about the enemy within while they are focusing their attention all last year on January 6th, on people like you and me, political opponents of this regime, they had no desire to even fake vet 80,000 people that are steeped in in the most radical ideology that led to the 9-11 attacks, not just inherent in the 9-11 attackers, but all of the Muslim Brotherhood communities and mosques that harbored them in California, New Jersey, New York, several other places around the country. Even more shocking was the fact that when the Inspector General's office, whenever they do a, you know, a watchdog report, they report their findings to that relevant government department. In this case, it was DHS at large, as well as CBP specifically. They say, hey, here's what we found. What's your response? And they, they, they totally denied it. They said, no, it's not a problem. They concluded as a result, DHS may have admitted or paroled individuals into the U.S. who pose a risk to national security and the safety of local communities. And they were like, screw you, no problem. They, they, they said they, they recommended immediately identifying all the Afghans here, provide proper proof of vetting, and then develop a contingency plan for the future. Doesn't sound very controversial, right? Okay, you could say, well, maybe, man, we just, it was just an emergency. We had to bring in 80,000 of these people. We didn't have time to vet. But, but now, a year later, we'll vet them, right? No. They don't even know where a lot of them are. They said, no, there's interagency complications. The report is inaccurate. And they said, we have no plans to vet for the future. So there you have it. This is where we are 21 years later. We pissed away our lives in Afghanistan. Oh, you have to fight them there so they don't come here. But they could only come here if you bring them through your immigration system. Geniuses. Or are they geniuses? Is it more of an enemy within and they did this on purpose? Now, speaking of geniuses, Policy Genius is also a sponsor of our show that we're proud to work with. Um, with all the clot shots and death and mayhem in this country and young people dying left and right, you got to start thinking about getting proper coverage for life insurance. Most people do not get enough through their place of work. Most people need up to 10 times more to properly provide their families. That's why I recommend joining me and going to policygenius.com slash Daniel. I tried it out. It takes a couple minutes. It's not an insurance company, but what they do is they aggregate online for you immediately, immediately give you apples to apples comparison of the, the best quotes out there. You could save 50% or more. You'll find that on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Also, their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy. The policy uh, genius team works for you, not the insurance company. So again, you could call them up. It's not just a, a website. You could actually ask them questions about the different terms and uh, comparing the different policies. They don't add extra fees. They don't sell your info to third parties. They don't uh, spy on you. And they have thousands of um, five-star ratings across the board. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed $120 billion in coverage. So again, head to policygenius.com slash Daniel to get your free life insurance quotes before the rates start going up. Um, as you well know, 84% increase in life insurance cr- claims for middle-aged people last year. So uh, 
those rates are definitely going to be going up. Um, but re- returning to invite the world, invade the world, I've quoted this so many times over the last number of years. Never forget it. The 9-11 Commission staff, they have a staff report on travel. It was one of the you know separate reports. It was written in 2004. And there's a line that explains it's the ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine of 9-11. Meaning, if 9-11 prima facie is really what it was, and the idea was to ensure we don't have radical Islamists in the country committing similar acts, just like if COVID was something that just came out of nowhere and it's really about combating COVID, you would focus on treatment. Just like if Russia attacking Ukraine was prima facie what we're told it is and we're cutting off our imports from Russia, well, you would work to grow your food and fuel, not ban it. Similar thing here. What, what would you do in 9-11? What's the ivermectin? What's the fossil fuel increase? I'm, you know, I'm cross-mixing analogies here from Ukraine and, and COVID. Well, of course, it's immigration. It's the visa system. Again, we weren't attacked on 9-11 in the way we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. Afghanistan wasn't the problem. Afghanistan was, a, it was nothing. That just happens to be where they trained. It might have been a cloudy day when they trained too, but that's incidental. Afghanistan never had the ability to come here with a navy or an air force and attack us. It was through our own self-immolating, politically correct immigration system. At its core, what 9-11 was, was letting in too many Islamists, allowing the Muslim Brotherhood to spread that poison on our shores through the mosques, through the communities, through the networks, the FBI, CIA, D, uh, the forerunners to the DHS agencies that were later created, all actually worked with them and had informants. I want to get to that in a minute. And then the funding, the funding. Afghanistan's a nothing. Where did the money come from? And we know it came from Saudi Arabia and to an extent Iran, both protected by our government. And what did we do in the ensuing years? We promoted the Muslim Brotherhood. We doubled and tripled our Muslim immigration. We exhausted our troops in those countries just refereeing Islamic civil wars and then felt guilty and brought even more people from all sides of Sunni and Shia from Iraq and, and Afghanistan. We, we helped Iran by vanquishing Saddam Hussein, who was the greatest counterbalance to Iran, and we coddled and covered for the Saudis. We did the worst possible thing. Sounds a lot like COVID, right? But anyway, the 9-11 Commission staff report, here's the money quote. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the U.S. if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11th, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers, demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and getting admission into the U.S., border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. Meaning not refereeing Islamic civil wars, not spending trillions of dollars overseas and bringing in refugees, which is antithetical. It was, what's the cornerstone of national security policy? Immigration visas. Now, yes, I understand you're going to say the government did erect a very bureaucratic thing, but... Again, it cast a wide net on people. The airports and everything on Americans cast a wide net on Americans, criminalized the lives of everyone, while not only ignoring the targeted problem, but actually helping exacerbate the problem. So same thing with COVID. They created the virus, they blocked the treatment, and they, they promoted the very people and entities that created the virus to create something even worse than the virus, which is the vaccines, Paxlovid, And then criminalized Americans. Think about this, that in New York City, some of those men that might still have been serving the NYPD, they were able to rush into a building on fire and risk their lives at the Twin Towers. But they weren't able to walk into a building 
without a mask or walk into a restaurant without Pfizer's poison QR card. Think about that. We've come full circle. But really, and I I admit it myself, I didn't realize at the time that the same modus operandi for COVID was in place for September 11th. It's truly, truly shocking with the hindsight of the last 21 years to, to stand back and take stock of what we've done. Just like we say, look at this crazy destruction of COVID and everything they were able to, to induce. Block the good, exacerbate the bad. When you reflect on two decades of policy and still going on. Like we said, they, they won't punish. They won't even give the death penalty 20 years later to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. They're letting in. I mean, when I was a kid, I never saw Muslims around until 9-11. Like, you never heard of it. And now we just let in an insane amount. There's no way you could vet that. And by the way, I just want to get back to that story I was um, reading from. So this was from the DHS Inspector General, but a couple months ago, the DOD Inspector General put out a similar report and noted that they were able to identify at least 50 Afghans who posed, quote, potentially significant security concerns, that dozens of them had derogatory information that would make them ineligible for parole, but they were unable to be located in the country. And I don't think they've been located. Now, what does derogatory information mean? It doesn't mean they're Islamic supremacists. No, that's almost all of them. That, that, that we, we never even vet for. And by the way, we have a government that's now vetting ideology of Americans and almost criminalizing it, but not those who enter the country. And there's a big difference. If you're an American, you have the right to be here. So you have the right to believe you have the First Amendment rights. If you're a foreign national and you're seeking entry, even if you never, let's say, committed a crime, but your views are not in sync with America, like you believe women are chattel or something, do you think we should let them in? You know, let them in? I say no. You don't have a right to be let in. But everything's upside down. What are we talking about with derogatory information? Here's a quote. Individuals whose latent fingerprints have been found on improvised explosive devices and known or suspected terrorists, and for which the NGIC sends derogatory information notifications to appropriate DOD personnel. So that means, and at the time of the report, only three of those dozens of, of people, that their fingerprints were found on IEDs, were located in our country. Invade the world, invite the world. That's still going on, and it's accelerated. And even after we finally ended Afghanistan, we're still bringing in more refugees, and now we started a new one with Ukraine. Again, think about the destruction. Just last week, the Biden administration informed Congress for fiscal year 2023, they plan on bringing in an additional 125 thousand additional refugees from around the world. When this is all said and done, there will also be over 100,000 Ukrainians brought in, not to mention the 2 million at the border, plus 500,000 gotaways, 10,000 pounds of fentanyl. You couldn't have done worse than this if you tried. Or did they try? It's impossible that this was done by accident. Just like with COVID, you, you couldn't have been that incompetent that you happened to do everything that would have helped you ban and everything that makes every aspect of the pandemic worse. You promote and mandate that couldn't have been done by accident. Again, you take stock of the past. And, and I just, I just want to give it over to you. The past 21 years. It's you, you'll, you'll feel like crying. It's just terrible. But it's reverberating to this day in and of itself and also with the creation 
of its bastard child of bioterrorism, which, which you know, is endemic in COVID fascism. Now, first, our final sponsor today, this is pretty much the last week to sign up for Patriot Academy's constitutional defense course at the NRA Winnington Center in Colfax County, New Mexico. Again, September 25th and October 2nd. Those are the two uh, dates for our four-day courses where we spend all day on the range training with Patriot Academy, the best handgun uh, instructors you'll ever have. Do you want to learn how to draw from a holster, how to accurately control the gun without jerking the trigger, proper grip, stance, sight alignment, how to win a gunfight? It is so much fun. How to clear malfunctions. We study the Constitution at night. We're out on the range all day. You'll be with the best Patriots. It's also the best weather because uh, either you know it's usually either too hot or too cold. Be the best time of the year. So again, join Rick Green and Patriot Academy on either September 25th or October 2nd by registering today at patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. That's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Make sure you look, you look today because, you know, by the end of the week, it will probably be too late to make reservations, plane ticket and everything. Patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So you, you, you look overall. On September 11th, a ragtag terrorist organization attacked us through our immigration system, killing nearly 3,000 Americans. We simply let in people we should never have admitted and allowed them to work with networks in this country of other people who should never have been let in. We responded by making the problem worse and increasing migration from all these places. We've issued roughly 2.2 million green cards to nationals of predominantly Muslim countries just from 2001 through the first quarter of 2018. I could update the data. I'm just working off of my old data. That's already, you know, four years old. So it's been even more, probably be closer to 3 million from countries that are predominantly Muslim. Again, you could let in a few here and there, but when when you have that many, it's a numbers game. And it's also, when you have that much, you have reverse assimilation because then there's too many and you get that cultivation of Islamic supremacism on your soil. We've brought in more just in a five-year period than the entire Muslim population of Belgium, which, as, as everyone knows, is saturated with radical Islamic nutcases. Now, I understand it's a percentage as, you know, percentage of Belgium's population. You know, Europe has a greater problem than we do European countries like Belgium, but it still is a numbers game. I mean, if you let in that many, um, you know, as we learned, it just took 19 people to create all that havoc. And, And that is accelerating under the Biden administration. We, we, we let in. We let in 100,000 Afghan refugees before last year, and then that was like another 80,000. 180,000. So not only did we send our best warriors into a meat grinder with no defined mission or logical outcome, we had them fight for a compromised force, making them subject to those endless blue-on-green attacks, terrible, terrible things. We invested so much in building up the Afghan military that we brought thousands of unvetted Afghans to our own shores every year under the guise of helping a war effort that in itself placed our troops in danger from unvetted coalition partners over there and here. According to um, one of the more recent CIGAR reports, it's an acronym, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, we've spent about $81 billion on the Afghan security forces forces as part of nearly the $1 trillion price tag for the two-decade-long war. Two-decade-long war. Think about that. Now, in addition to nearly, you know, 2,500 dead and tens of thousands of wounded soldiers from all those stupid wars fighting over there, we have nothing to show for it but hundreds of thousands of largely unvetted 
refugees from those areas. Okay? We've learned nothing from Europe's experience last generation. We always knew we were one step behind them, and we walked right into it. Walked right into it. And to this day, we've ended none of that. Do you know, do you know to, it, it's so bad, people forget, right before the modern-day 9-11, which is COVID fascism, in March of um, 2020, you had in December 2019, the Pensacola attack, where we were training Saudi pilots under the Trump administration, and one of them... Worked, you know, for the Saudi Royal Air Force. His name was Mohammed Saeed Al-Sharami. Al-Shamrani, I think. We all forgot about the Pensacola attack. That was under Trump. And Trump had the perfect opportunity to respond to that by banning these, you know, joint military trainings of Egyptians and Turks and certainly, certainly Saudis. And if you remember... His his um, defense secretary at the time said he was going to double it. This is the Trump administration. I did a bunch of shows. That was really one of the last things I was doing before COVID, working on that. And then also there was another issue that that he was able to shoot at our soldiers and our soldiers are disarmed on our bases. And we thought, well, Trump's president will issue an order saying that they could carry weapons on bases. Nope, he declined to do it even though he promised. That was a campaign promise, by the way. But we're all going to forget about that in our clamor to just throw our panties at Trump. At the time, there were an estimated 850 Saudi, Saudi military personnel training on our bases. He, they, he shot this guy, Al-Shamrani, he shot dead three Americans at the Naval Air Station. So we've learned nothing. Just like with COVID. The very elements that caused it get to get to rule over us. So again, what was 9-11? Muslim Brotherhood, immigration, Saudi funding. All of those things we doubled and tripled down on. Never forget 9-11 and, 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 and the true lessons of it. And with that, I wanted to remind you guys of something that has really gotten for lost in the shuffle. Remember the declassified 28 pages of the 9-11 report. I don't have the page numbers in front of me. It's something like, it's in the 400s, maybe like 415 to 445 or something like that. Those pages were blocked out. And it was a big fight for many years, for like a decade after the 9-11 commission report came out, over declassifying them. And that was the part that had to do with Saudi Arabia's involvement. Okay? And it was it was declassified in 2016. And it just never made a splash to this day. It never made a splash. Now, it still had a lot of blacked out names and things like that. But even what we saw was earth-shattering. First of all, it made it clear that the FBI and CIA did not investigate the Saudis in the U.S. before 9-11 because the Saudis were, you know, the Holy Grail. Um, and Robert Mueller covered that up. The Saudis never cooperated with the post-9-11 investigation. Um... They were called useless and obstructionist in the report. And then there was that San Diego cell. Okay, we know about you know the New, New York, New Jersey cell, but there was the San Diego cell. This was flight the Flight 77 hijackers. Khalid al-Midhar and Nawaf al-Hazmi. So they were linked to Saudi intelligence operatives, and that's that's what the report goes through. But it ties back into the FBI itself. Okay? 
four out of the five named Saudi operatives have Saudi government jobs as well as ties to the 9-11 hijackers. They were Saudi intel officers. And two of them got direct funding from Prince Bandar, as well as the Saudi Ministry of Defense and Aviation. Yeah, that same aviation program that we train on our soil to this day, even after they attacked us in Pensacola on 2019, which we forgot about. But what begs the question is, if the Saudi intel clearly knew about it, if not planned it, how did our intel not know that, given the relationship? And one of the things, one of the important points about the San Diego cell that's, that's brought to life in this, these 28 pages is Omar al-Bayoumi. Okay, look him up. He was a Saudi intel officer with a long history, you know, connected to the whole kingdom there. He made 100 calls to Saudi establishments in early 2000. Had several contacts at the embassy here and the Saudi consulate in, in Los Angeles. So according to the report, he provided substantial assistance to hijackers Khalid al-Midhar and uh, Nawaf al-Hazmi after they arrived in San Diego in February 2020 about a year and a half before the attacks. Al-Bayoumi met the hijackers at a public place. When Al-Hazmi and Al-Midhar moved to San Diego, they stayed at Al-Bayoumi's apartment for several days until he was able to find them an apartment. He co-signed their lease and may have paid for their first month's rent. He threw a party for them and found some, someone from the Islamic center of San Diego to translate for them, help them get driver's license, and assist them in locating flight schools. Again, this was done by Islamists in our communities, mosques, and through the stewardship of Saudi intel officials that worked through the Saudi consulates. But why am I bringing him up? The hijackers were later moved to the house of a friend of Bayoumi, this guy, Shaikh, who was an FBI informant. Abus, Abu Sattar Shaikh. The FBI closed their investigation to Bayoumi in 1999, and after the 9-11 attacks, Bayoumi moved to the UK, where he was arrested at the behest of the, of the FBI. But why wasn't that stopped before? Think about everything we know about FBI informants now. And rather than using them to disrupt an attack, they allow them to continue their work into the attack. And in fact, often cause the attack, as we saw with the Whitmer kidnapping and January 6th. According to the FBI files at the company, said that Albayumi received a monthly salary this is a company that's tied to the Saudi Ministry of Defense. Even though he had been there only one on one occasion, the, um, the support increased substantially in April 20, uh, April 2000, two months after the hijackers arrived in San Diego, decreased slightly in December of 2000 and stayed at the same level until August 2001. The company reportedly had ties to Osama bin Laden. He's just one person, but there's several more. And you read about it, FBI informants were involved with the very people that not only facilitated the 9-11 hijackers, but themselves were Saudi intel operatives and involved in their defense industry and had ties to bin Laden. It all, it's all one big web, kind of like, again, the COVID, Pfizer, Moderna, intel web. What did our government know and when did they know it? We still don't have an answer to that. Again, it doesn't mean that these things weren't planned organically by Al-Qaeda and carried out organically, and I think they were. I don't believe this whole thing that, that the government, you know, I know some people do, but I don't, I don't, you know, I believe that you know, they weren't taken down through bombs. I think it was prima facie that, the narrative we were told, 
in terms of mechanically how the attacks were carried out. But what did our government know and who in our government knew what? Again, the cover-up and the policies after 9-11 really raised questions about this. See, there's one thing if we just went nuts after 9-11 and just went totally after the problem. All right, maybe they just made a mistake. It was oversight. Well, Daniel, they did go over go nuts. They changed our lives. Exactly. They changed our lives in all the wrong ways. They treated everyone like a terrorist at airports. They spied on everyone. And meanwhile... Molly coddled the Saudis even more, doubled down and tripled Muslim immigration, and then literally worked with the Muslim Brotherhood, including Anwar al-Awlaki, who was one of the godfathers of the very attackers that flew planes into the Pentagon. They held lunches with him several months later in the Pentagon cafeteria. It's truly unbelievable. And, and when you think about bringing in several million Muslims, several million, it's a numbers game. And then now, you know, 180,000 Afghans, 80,000 last year. It's a rough estimate, rough estimate that I could, you know, just from adding up the year years of green cards. Um, I've said this before, but for those of you who haven't heard this, in 2013... Pew Research Center published a poll surveying the sentiments of people in 39 Muslim countries. Okay, you know, what are some of their political beliefs, their you know, religious beliefs? In Afghanistan, meaning people from Afghanistan had some of the most disturbing views, and I'm just going to give you a sampling of it that I've um, culled from their data. 99% of Afghans support making Sharia the official law of the land, more than in any other country surveyed, even in, in the Islamic world, 61% say that Sharia should be imposed on non-Muslim citizens. So it's not just okay for Afghanistan. 61% say it should be imposed on other citizens. 79% support the death penalty for those who leave Islam. 82% say religious leaders should have some or a lot of influence over politics more than in any other Muslim country surveyed. 39%, 39% believe suicide bombings can be justified more than anyone except for the Palestinians. <laughs> you know, they, they surveyed like, you know, 30 Muslim countries for this. Only 30% believe women should be allowed to decide whether to wear a veil or not. Less than in all but one country surveyed. 94% believe wives must always obey their husbands more than anywhere except in Malaysia. And 96% believe converting non-Muslims is a religious duty more than those who express that sentiment in, in uh, any other country. Now, I want you to think about post-9-11, let's just say bringing in 3 million of those people. You know, some will come here, work, get good jobs, be great people, not give a darn about it, not really get into that, and just kind of, you know, do the right thing. But out of those 3 million, how many are going to be kinetic terrorists? Well, we've already learned we've had a tremendous amount of terrorist attacks since 9-11 that we forgot about. But how many collectively cultivate the, cultivate the climate? So you let in three here, three there, you get more assimilation. But when you have these enclaves where there's thousands upon thousands living there, and then they have these radical Muslim Brotherhood Al-Qaeda-funded, literally, mosques and schools and institutions that foment this mentality, how, what sort of youth are you creating? Well, that's Europe. That's what happened to Europe a generation earlier, where you now have not just people that came over, but they're born here to parents that came over. And they're born with this kind of conflicting ideology, and they become disenchanted with America. And you have that second-degree effect that we have today. This is the broad lesson of 9-11. By the way, some of you might have seen over the weekend, Nikki Haley did an event for Dr. Oz, very appropriately, two leftist fake Republicans, and she said, legal immigrants are more patriotic than most Americans these days. What does that even mean? And then she attempted to say, 
some immigrants are more patriotic than leftist-born Americans. But that's not what she said. She said all Americans. Okay? That's the mentality of the Republican Party, just as much as the Democrats. By the way, Ron DeSantis, there was a Florida conference of national conservatism, and he spoke about, he said, you know, it's not just illegal immigration, but out-of-control legal immigration that that doesn't foster Americanization, doesn't work for, for Americans, has been harmful. One of the few willing to say that. But we've been governed by Republicans for 20 years that have internalized the same lesson of 9-11 as the Democrats. Invade the world, invite the world. So this is where we are. And then now we have Ukraine. That we still haven't learned the lesson of refereeing antiquated civil wars. And each one is done on purpose to weaken us. To expose us to the effects of the very thing that they're claiming to protect us from. Criminalize us. Make us feel the pain. Whether it's COVID, whether it's food and fuel from the stupid embargoes in Russia and that stupid war there in Ukraine. 65 billion and counting. More than five times more than every other country in Europe put together. When supposedly Putin is a threat to all of Europe... Yet we're the ones ponying up the money more than the Europeans. Why? We gave we $54 billion to Pfizer. Okay, we didn't directly give it, but the profits that they made were the result of the government endorsing, marketing, and mandating and distributing it. So we essentially gave them $54 billion. We gave Ukraine over $60 billion. And I'm here to tell you, 9-11 was COVID fascism in Ukraine even before we knew it. And again, as I noted on Friday, a big part of the biomedical state and the forerunner to emergency powers all came. The PREP Act, okay, that was 2004. It came in the wake of 9-11. Rather than targeting the limited scope of who the enemy was, naming the enemy, punishing the enemy, Saudi funding, Muslim Brotherhood here, cutting off visas and immigration, they did the exact opposite and then criminalized us. Spied on us, created all these emergency powers that laid the foundation for COVID fascism. That, my friends, is your, your government. That, my friends, is the enemy within. Chuck Todd is right. We do now face an enemy within. We actually faced it then too, but we didn't know it. I want to be clear, it doesn't mean there aren't external enemies too. But part of the reason why those external enemies affect us and potentially threaten us is only because of the subversive enemy within that ensures that the enemy without could harm us. A, because they hate America, but B, because that allows them to use that as a pretext for a great reset-inducing event and its ensuing policies. This is the long-form lesson of 9-11 that I felt I rushed through on Friday because we you know, had a good show in its own right on, on the Pfizer documents. So I didn't want to step on that. I didn't know if I was going to get to commemorate 9-11, but I figured, you know what, let's do it today. It's terrible. I'm just telling you, the more we know, think about it, at a minimum is criminal negligence. At a maximum, our government knew about it. Or elements of our government, of our intel, national security apparatus, knew of it or something along the lines was happening. And for, at a minimum, political reasons, didn't do anything. But certainly, in the aftermath, used it to create the foundation of the Fourth Reich. While not only ignoring what could have and should have been done, to actually prevent future 9-11s and the culture that undergirded it germinating within Western societies, but they did everything they could to make it worse. And they're going to keep doing it again and again until we understand that our government is the enemy, the national security apparatus is the biggest problem, the Republican Party is in on it just as much as the Democrats just that recognition alone, the, the words I just said, is a huge step in identifying 
a solution for the future. Now, no show about 9-11 would be complete without mentioning one more dimension, and that's the U.S. military. That obviously a big part of it was the surge in enlistments following 9-11. You know, people were led to believe that the not just primary but exclusive threat was external and certainly signed up to be patriots and defend against those external enemies. And it's so sad to think about what was done to those people, that they turned the military into a woke machine focused on women in combat, transgenderism, racism, craziness. They now have B-1 bombers, the few that we have left, doing environmental work in South America. Fred sent this to me. Maybe we'll get to that later this week. All of the resources, the money we spent flushed on Islamic civil war, nation building other people, bringing in refugees, not about pretending our, protecting our own interests is our border. I mean, oh my gosh, the millions upon millions just in the last two years that came in, certainly the 20 years since 9-11, the Bush administration busted open our border. They shut it down for a couple months and then those ensuing years of his term, oh my gosh, they just came through. Our military, its mission was betrayed. The people were betrayed. And now what are we left with? This is from Terminal X. goes by Danny. Um, it's a website, trmlx.com. Army reserves have lost 13,000 soldiers in the last 18 months. And obviously, a big part of it is the mandates, the morale... And he notes that the most alarming reenlistment percentage I see here are the career reenlistments. First time reenlistments coming in at 77% seems to be par for the course. Young men and women join, some decide it's not for them after an initial enlistment and quit, but the majority continue on. Career reenlistments coming in at 65% is shocking, however. These are career soldiers who know what the Army life consists of have made the decision to stay in at least once, and this time around, they've decided to get out. So put another way, that means 35% of career guys cannot just, okay, I sign up one time, four years, leave. That was always my plan. No, 35% of the careerists making the decision to leave means, and, and he rightfully notes, that there's a triggering event, which... Obviously, we know exactly what it is. It's the mandates, but broadly what they represent, which is the mentality of the military. And yet, to this day, Republicans, just within the next couple of days, they're going to pass the National Defense Authorization Bill, authorizing all military national security intel programs without rectifying this issue. It's all about throwing more money at the military, doubling down on the same failed narrative. How could you solve a problem you fail to properly diagnose? So that's that's it for the 9-11 portion today, just in the remaining couple of minutes. We're, we're, we're discussing, again, how everything they did took the very elements, the very factors that drove 9-11 and poured gasoline on them, exacerbated them, blocked what could have helped protect exacerbated the factors that drove the events leading up to 9-11. And we noted that COVID was the exact same thing. Everything they did not only didn't work, but actually propelled it. And there's an important study out from the New England Journal of Medicine. I've been away, so I'm not up on all the latest news on the COVID stuff, but new study out, very, very important that proves once again what we've been talking about for really about a year so far, that not only do the shots not work, not only is it the more you inject, the more you infect. So if you get my analogy to 9-11, the shots are kind of like Muslim immigration in that sense. So you respond to a problem induced by irresponsible visas issued to people who shouldn't have been let in by letting in more of those type of people. So similar thing, the more you inject, the more you infect. So this is a study letter. It's titled Effects of Vaccination and Previous Infection on Omicron Infections in Children. And they basically note what we've said, that it erases your natural immunity. 
So not only you know do you get COVID, you're more likely to get it. You're more likely now to get it more severely, although Omicron in general isn't that severe if you have the shots and, and the more doses you have. But even if, okay, well, fine, it didn't work, I got COVID, but now I'm immune, right? The, the, the jabs were a joke, I understand that, but I got natural immunity, no. It was perfectly designed to erase your natural immunity and ensure you can never get immunity, which is brilliant, because then COVID could never, ever end. Just like Paxlovid, if you notice, the more you Pax, well, I don't have something that rhymes with that, maybe we could think of it, but the more COVID you get... So you could take more packs. It's a brilliant business model. So this study shows that not only the effectiveness of the Pfizer COVID vaccine becomes negative over five months, meaning makes it that you're more likely to get it, but that the vaccine itself destroys the protection you eventually got from the shot not working and you got natural infection. There's a large observational study, almost 900,000 children aged 5 to 11 in North Carolina, 30% received at least one dose of Pfizer. The study period was between November 2021 and June 2022, so almost all Omicron. And um, they, they find children who are vaccinated and have been previously infected, they compare them to other children who weren't vaccinated, So the fact that the vaccinated who have natural immunity from previous infection also saw negative efficacy. But how do you have negative efficacy if you had had the virus? So I got all the T cells and B cells of natural immunity. And then you got the shots. They still were subject to the negative efficacy. They were not just like, oh, it's possible to have a breakthrough and get COVID again. They were more likely than those who weren't vaxxed to get it again. Okay, so this is extremely, extremely disturbing. At some point, you have to ask yourself, just like I'm posing today with 9-11, if everything you do seems to exacerbate and accelerate the very thing that you're saying it was designed to stop, and you're so emphatic about it, and you change the world based on it, you, you alter human rights, you're willing to destroy the military and healthcare, or, you know, at a time where there's a scarcity in both for people to enlist for you know, healthcare workers as well as the military to impose it, and yet it has this much negative efficacy and so negative that it could erase your natural immunity. At some point, it's quite clear that this was done on purpose and continues to be done on purpose. But sadly, after 21 years, we are nowhere closer to having a party that's willing to get to the bottom of 9-11 and the right policies that need to be put in place to deal with true Islamic terrorism and the, and the policies that should never have been put in place. We're certainly nowhere closer to COVID just two years later to rectifying that. I hate to be morbid about it, but if you look at the 21 years following 9-11, history is not a very good indicator, or it is a good indicator that we're not going to rectify COVID fascism anytime soon. But it doesn't mean we can't try. We can't fight for what's right. So again, we're going to go over all this in-depth all the you know the more the 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 covid stuff but also congress just another 2 weeks until the budget deadline the fiscal year we have the defense bill we have the cr are they going to have the cr expire in december so that they can do an omnibus and undercut a republican majority house this is all up in the air but again how many of your favorite conservative talkers are even focused upon this. That's why I need your help in growing this show. If you don't grow it, no one else will, I'm telling you. I am persona non grata for a reason. And uh, the more I (laughs) speak the truth, the more the fake right obviously is going to make sure you don't hear this. So make sure every one of your friends, family, 
if you spend time listening to politics, make this your home base. If you want to tune it out, I understand it's maddening. But if you do listen, don't listen to the garbage shows. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps uh, grease the algorithms until they start going after us on iTunes. But, you know, we're, we're at the blaze. We have our own independent platform, so we'll never be able to be kicked off. But we're just getting started this week. So much more. So glad to be back. Till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.